0: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. APT41 is back and throwing its weight around in about 20 verticals. States and gangs swap commodity malware... The FSB, yes, that FSB, takes down a major Russian carding gang. Coronavirus-themed attacks are likely to outlast the pandemic. Facebook Messenger considers limiting mass message forwarding as a way of slowing the spread of COVID-19 misinformation. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, March 25th, 2020. APT41 renewed activity this month after a February lull that corresponded to China's Lunar New Year. In what FireEye calls a global intrusion campaign using multiple exploits, the group is targeting vulnerabilities in Cisco routers, Citrix Netscaler ADC, and Zoho Manage Engine Desktop Central products. The targets appear to have been selected with some deliberation and not hit opportunistically, but they're drawn from a wide range of verticals, Telecommunications, manufacturing, healthcare, government, oil and gas, higher education, defense, industrial, pharmaceutical, finance, technology, petrochemical, transportation, construction, utilities, media, not for profits, law firms, realtors, and travel services. Whew. The campaign appears to be one of collection as opposed to disruption. What APT 41's goals are remain unclear. The hacking group is generally thought to work on behalf of the Chinese government's intelligence services, but it also moonlights and it's not reluctant to dip into financially motivated cybercrime on the side. We're accustomed to hearing about the commodification of hacking tools cybercriminals use. They're cheap, they offer a reasonable return on investment, and above all, they don't require much or even any skilled development, or in many cases, any development at all. CyFirma researchers report that the commodification of attack tools has enabled less capable intelligence services in developing nations to conduct effective cyber operations, and established cyberpowers aren't above using the commodity tools either. CyFirma sees evidence of collaboration between the big operators and both clients and allies of convenience. In December, for example, the security firm's researchers observed discussions in various hackers' communities – of how to launch Emotet attacks. CyFirma says, The hacking groups were all known to be state-affiliated and funded. The attack mechanism of choice is simply commodity malware. Commodity malware is attractive because of the ease with which it can be repurposed and turned against various target sets. Some of the state actors CyFirma says it's tracked in this trend will have familiar names. Stone Panda, Lazarus Group, Gothic Panda, and Fancy Bear. Cyferma's list includes the qualification or associated group, which suggests that, of course, there are state actors who have yet to be recognized or described, but also that there's moonlighting going on and that in some places criminal gangs operate with the knowledge and sufferance of the security organs, provided naturally that the criminal gangs keep their noses clean and their hands-off prohibited targets. With that in mind, here's something a bit different. In what CyberScoop calls a rare enforcement action, Russia's FSB has arrested 25 individuals on charges of running the BuyBest, also known as the Golden Shop, Carding, and PII Dark Web Market. The FSB has also shuttered BuyBest's online operations. If it weren't for, well, history with the FSB, we'd almost be tempted to say, Bravo FSB! The FSB is one of the old Soviet KGB's daughter agencies, carrying its foremother's legacy into Russia's post-Soviet era. The service's mandate extends to counterintelligence, internal security, and surveillance. Its activities can be difficult to distinguish from those of its sister agency, the SVR, which is responsible for foreign intelligence and espionage. Anywho, the biggest fish this particular dragnet pulled in was one Alexei Stroganov, who uses the hacker name Flint24. Mr. Stroganov, according to CyberScoop, is apparently something of a recidivist, having served two years of a six-year sentence for an earlier cybercrime beef. The FSB said their takedown netted about a million dollars in cash, server equipment used for the operation of online stores, Fake identification documents, including passports of Russian citizens, as well as rifles, drugs, gold bars, and precious coins. That list makes Mr. Strogonov and his colleagues look like a collection of gangsters right out of Central Casting. The FSB noted that some of the carding data being traded belonged to Russian citizens and came from Russian banks, and that may indicate the domestic line these particular alleged crooks stepped across to draw the attention of the organs. Count me among those who are skeptical of using a password manager. How could adding another layer in between me and my accounts possibly make life easier? More secure, maybe. Okay, more secure for sure. But take it from me once you get past the initial transition period, which really isn't that bad. Using a password manager is not only safer but easier as well. But don't just take it from me. Rachel Stockton is Senior Director of Marketing at LogMeIn, makers of the LastPass Password Manager. We sat down for a chat at the RSA conference.
1: You know, I feel as if we've made progress in the past few years. Uh, I think people understand the problem around managing both passwords as well as overall access and identities. Mm -hmm. But I think the more you learn about it, It's like peeling back an onion. Hmm. You see that there are more challenges. So when you think about passwords, you know, there are the passwords that we have for our own applications, uh, ones that we bring in, the ones that the company assigns us, the ones that we have for our own personal use. And organizations are solving that in a lot of different ways, right? SSO, that's fantastic for Mm -hmm. business apps, um, which is great, provides a lot of control. But we also know that that's only going to solve a certain percentage of applications. It's only going to protect a certain percentage of applications. Mm. And I like to think of things as like doors and windows. Okay. And so when you think about the kinds of technologies that people are adopting, they look at SSO and it's going to help lock those doors for sure. Right. But then when you think about what people are actually bringing into the office to help make themselves more productive, those are all open windows, hmm. as well as our sort of the second tier applications that not everybody's using that may be more departmental that may not make that sort of top tier for integration with SSO more open windows. And I think that's where password management can come in. So that's a way that you're able to help close some of those windows as well.
0: Hmm. I'm curious, as we look towards the future, how do we see this playing out as the technology continues to evolve and we see things like Uh, People are pushing solutions that have no passwords at all, you know, a future without them. Uh, We see things like biometrics coming along and, and those sorts of things. What is on your radar when you look down the road as to where we may be headed?
1: I'm aligned with everything you just said there. I think if you look at us as humans, we don't want to have things that come between us and what we want to get at, mm-hmm. whether it's our personal data, our work data, anything along those lines. And so passwords right now are that, you know, that challenge that we have to overcome to get it, right. the price we have to pay. And I think there's more technology out there now that helps us, if not eliminate the concept of password, then make the password more invisible. So biometrics, for example. You know, you mentioned um, having to have one password to access your entire password manager. True. Right. But we also now use biometrics for everything to get into our phone. It's second nature to us. Mm -hmm. And you can picture that, replacing that concept of that password to get you into things. Or if not replacing, masking it. And I think you're going to see more and more in personal life, but also in business, where... Passwords may be there, they may not be, but they're not going to be the end user's concern. It's mm. going to be about touching, you know, it's going to be about the fingerprint. It's going to be about that glance at your phone, which will mm-hmm. now let you into your computer. Right. It might be the glance at your phone that lets you into your house. Um, mm. And I, I mm-hmm. think that's where we're going to be going. And even, I, I would hope even further, really pushing the envelope there, really figuring out how we can make access. Incredibly frictionless, invisible, transparent for the end user, but then also on the business side, from an administrative perspective, how do you give that same kind of ease? to that administrator who's going to be managing all of this too. And hmm. I think that's really important from the business side. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time on the end user, right. but we have to think about that admin as well. You know, you don't want to have to bring in tech that you have to be hiring lots of people to manage. Mm. This isn't the way we want to be growing sort of in managing identity. So I think we have to be considering that as well. How do we make sure setting it up, setting the right policies, all of those things, maintaining it is really super simple. Hmm. Um, So I think it's simplicity all around.
0: That's Rachel Stockton from Log Me In. The Wall Street Journal, noting the patience of both intelligence services and the larger criminal gangs, points out that the fallout from coronavirus can be expected to affect cybersecurity for weeks or months after the pandemic abates. Some bad actors won't wait, and Business World reports that the Philippines Department of Information and Communications Technology Sees a heightened risk of attacks on hospitals and other healthcare facilities. Attempts against healthcare facilities and organizations suggest that some criminal assurances that they'll leave essential services alone during the pandemic are empty and idle. The healthcare sector should by no means relax its cyber guard. The services it provides and the information it holds are more valuable than ever, and there's no reason to think this will have escaped the criminals' attention. In an attempt to inhibit the flow of misinformation about COVID-19, Facebook Messenger may limit users' ability to mass-forward messages, Naked Security reports. The ability to quickly disseminate mass messages has been seen as a problem for Facebook before, especially in cases of mob violence incited online in various South Asian communities. The cap on distribution now being considered would, Facebook hopes, At least slow down the rate at which misinformation and disinformation spreads. And finally, we close with some good news from our community. Exabeam's Chris Tillett, one of the cybersecurity industry's early COVID-19 sufferers, seems to be on the road to recovery, the local Connecticut news service Good Morning Wilton reports. We congratulate him, hope his prognosis stays positive, and send our best wishes to his family. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, as you and I are recording this, there are uh, bills making their way through Congress to help get stimulus checks out to U.S. citizens.
2: Yes, that's and that, correct.
0: And it's happening fast and furious. So it is. A little behind the scenes here. You and I record these segments a day or two before they air. Right. So there's a chance that uh, when this airs, things may have changed already. That's correct. That's (laughs) correct. That's what we know. Um, It looks like it's likely that these checks are going to happen. Right. It's likely that we're going to get checks sent directly to us from the federal government.
2: Based on previous
0: tax filings. That's right. And it is almost a certainty that scammers are going to take advantage of
2: this. 100%. Dave, they, this is a golden opportunity for scammers and uh, everybody should be aware of it. Yeah. So there's an article on Forbes that actually my wife forwarded to me today from uh, Jim Wang, who talks about the entire stimulus package and everything. But he actually spends a, a little bit of time talking about scams on this and that you should be wary about this. And, 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 Look for people who are saying things like "We need your, uh, we need some money from you to release your check." Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Anybody that calls you up and says we need money from you to release your check—that's a scam. Right. Right? right? These checks are just going to show up in the mail. Actually, yeah, most uh, likely. Yep. It, that's that's yep. the way these things have worked in the past. Uh, I've never had to file for a stimulus check. Right. Um, I, but I have gotten them.
0: Another thing that they're they're saying is that these scams could say get your check now. Yes. Get it that,
2: the FTC is warning that that, yeah. that they're saying get your check now kind of like the tax refund things that that like H&R Block and TurboTax offer, right? They offer you a an immediate tax refund based oh. on your uh your return for filing with them. Right. That's actually a uh, a loan that they're giving you but they're basing that loan on the fact that your return is expecting a certain value back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they're actually charging you for that. Yeah. Uh, if you wait for your return, you'll get, you'll get the full amount of money, but based on that kind of information, right. Based on that kind of experience that the American people have, this kind of a scam could take off where, Hey, you can get your stimulus check now and, and, just give us your banking information and we'll put the money in your account.
0: Yeah. And taking advantage of the fact that there's a lot of anxiety out there. There is there a lot of anxiety. A lot of people who are in increasingly desperate situations as mm-hmm. their jobs go away. Right. Uh, sources of incomes dry up. So people are in need of this money. Uh, so it's, it's a good thing, uh, I suppose, that the money's going out, but everybody needs to be vigilant.
2: Everybody needs to be vigilant and uh one of the things we need to do is is reach out to everybody that we know that might be susceptible to scams mm-hmm. and and give them the information that this is something to look out for call your older parents that might be susceptible to this right and tell right. them look out for these scams don't answer any any emails or any phone calls where they're promising this money or they're they're asking about You paying a fee to get it released, or they want your bank account details.
0: Right, right. Anybody asking for your social security number, any of that personal information, the feds aren't going to need that to send you your check. They
2: already have it. (laughs) (laughs) They're the source of that information, so they don't need to ask you for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. In fact,
2: if you don't know your social security number, you can ask them and they'll tell you.
0: (laughs) It's just, i just imagine you calling up every day hey listen could you tell me my social i just i can't remember it i can't <laughs> right. it's just one more time yeah okay joe here it is <laughs> they got all
2: it right. written down on <laughs> a sticky note next <laughs> to me. yeah under next no
0: circumstances the- give this man a social security <laughs> number so. <laughs> right. all right well uh you know we all got to stick together here these are uh interesting times things are changing quickly but uh look out for your loved ones uh, yes. warn them uh, do your best to help them use use the powers that you possess to sniff out these sorts of scams and spread some of that knowledge around. Absolutely. All right, Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for joining us.
2: My pleasure, Dave.
0: Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program with the largest network of trust centers? In a security landscape where you must fight A.I. with A.I., the best A.I. protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful A.I. engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust Plus A.I. to prevent ransomware and A.I. attacks. Experience your world secured